You're listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb, helping you find purpose and joy in your life and relationships. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. We're here today with Dr. Larry Crabb, best-selling author and uh, conference speaker, psychologist. But we're also joined by a close friend of mine, Duncan Sprague. I've known Duncan for years, and Duncan had an opportunity 20-some years ago to study under, under Larry got his master's degree, and um, so we thought it would be a good idea to bring Duncan in to have some conversations um, with him because he's uh, been such a integral part of, of, of what, what we're going to be doing here, and um, and we're just glad to have you here, Dunk. Thanks, Thanks. for joining glad us, man. Glad to be here. Yeah. And I'm glad as well because he's a buddy of mine as well, and uh, something I've thought about Dunk for a long time is that he's a rare combination of somebody who thinks very deeply but is very honest about all that's going on in his soul. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that it's mm-hmm. rather unusual for that combination to exist in one person because mm-hmm. those, th- folks, those folks that are really, really intelligent as you are and are well, well read and you, you think very deeply, I think a lot of academics, the people with academic ability, hide behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I taught at a seminary, it, it felt to me, and this will sound a little bit critical, I suppose it mm-hmm. is, that some of the professors there, who were very, very bright, very well-trained, and very academic, they wouldn't deal with their lives. Hmm. And it's easy to hide behind your knowledge. Knowledge can puff up as opposed to release. Hmm. Um, but you're a good thinker, but you also are pretty honest about the mess that you are. <laughs> <laughs> so we could have some fellowship together, friend. There's a lot of fodder for the fire. And, and then you put, you put it together, you know, all these deep thoughts. What do they have to do with life? Yeah. And uh, that's what I think the book Finding God is about, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to find God. And, uh, you know, I wrote the book in response to my brother's death. One brother who's been with the Lord now since 1991, and Mm -hmm. we're Mm -hmm. talking about now in the middle of the 2016 realm. And um, and one one of the key phrases in that book that got me going when when, when Bill died, um, I I remember saying... Um, something that we've thought about together quite a bit in, in many of my books, but God, I know you're good, but what are you good for? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I trust you. And, and and I said something else when, when Bill died. Um, there was an awful, there was a plane crash. He was flying uh, standby. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a psychologist as well, and he was teaching in the East Coast somewhere, and he came back to living in Colorado Springs. Then he caught a flight from Denver to Colorado Springs. There were 24 passengers, mm-hmm. and they had room for three more, and Bill was one of the three. Mm-hmm. And the plane crashed, and all 24, it might have been 21, I'm forgetting, but 20-some passengers and three crew members all died in a plane crash. It was a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. And a- after, after his death, a couple of memorial services that I, that I spoke at, it was about a month after Bill's death, and I couldn't sleep. And I remember saying to Rachel at 2 in the morning, just wide awake, I said, Honey, there are tears inside of me I have not yet shed. Mm-hmm. There was a mourning process that I just wasn't able mm-hmm. to go into to any kind of a depth. So I got out of bed at 2 in the morning, thereabouts, went to my study, grabbed my Bible, <laughs> and I grabbed it looking for answers, mm-hmm. looking for do something with me, God, mm-hmm. do, do a thing with my soul, what's going on? And I literally threw the Bible across the room mm-hmm. in anger. I was mm. so angry at God. You could have supported that mm. plane from crashing and you allowed it to crash and you're almighty and I don't see what you're doing that's any good in my life right now. You've broken my parents' hearts and you've robbed me of a brother and you could have stopped it all and you didn't. And I got so angry at the Bible and the God who wrote the Bible. 
<laughs> and after I did that, I realized throwing the Bible across the room isn't the best idea, you know. <laughs> and I literally fell to the ground. I don't usually fall to the ground, but I mm -hmm. fell to the, the fell on the floor and just wept. And what I remember saying, and this this led to the book, mm -hmm. God, um, I don't know you well enough. Mm. I don't know you well enough to trust you. Mm. I don't know you well enough. Let me find you. Let me know who you are. So in the middle of life's difficulties, in the middle of death, mm. in the middle of plane crashes, in the middle of illness, in the middle of all the problems that life brings into our life, how can I trust you? How can I call you good? I don't mm. know you well enough to trust you. Let me find you. Mm. And that just stirred. I'm going to write about that. And I don't think it felt like I'm going to write a book. I was just going to write for myself, and mm. out came the book. Yeah. So that's finding God. That's what it's about. Well, and it reminds me of Lewis when he wrote um, A Grief Observed, mm. that that it was different than when he wrote A Problem of Pain. Yeah. Because all of a sudden it was no longer theoretical. It was now, I, I've got real life material that yes. I am grappling with. And it changed it. Changed it. Did you find as you wrote book the book that you were writing differently um, from the way you had come up oh, I think into so. it before. I think so. And I think that's the value of suffering. Mm. I, I don't see how the kind of maturity God wants to form in us, the kind of dependence he longs for us to feel in his presence, that cannot happen when life is going just wonderfully. Mm -hmm. And mm. our thought is, do I really want to know God as well as he would like me to? Mm. And is there going to be a cost in that? And so as I wrote the book, I think there was a, a deep sense of Something is different within me now. Mm. I really can't manage my life anymore. I've got to find, because I can't see to it. Prayers don't keep planes from mm. crashing. I prayed for Bill that day. Mm. It's with a routine prayer, Lord, mm. journeying mercies, you know. Yeah. I prayed for Bill's safe flight, and then the, then the plane crashed. And I do think, by the way, that's when I lost confidence in prayer. Um, huh. Wow. It made me think about what is prayer really all about, and prayer at that time felt like negotiation. Yeah felt like my way to maneuver God to cooperate mm. with my plans. Yeah. And I thought, I don't know how to pray. Yeah. I don't even know who God is. Mm. And that led to the book. Bob, you mentioned uh, Lewis. Did you ever think about the, the book, um, the, the Problem of Pain? It's called The Problem of Pain. Mm. And Grief Observed is, is, not, is, is called A Grief Observed. Mm. Do you ever think of a distinction there? Mm. Lewis is writing as a, as a bit of an academic yeah. in The Problem of Pain. And he's saying that um, in the introduction to the book, he says... I don't want to um, pretend to anybody that I'm above hurting in pain. Mm -hmm. I consider myself a coward, and the only thing I'm doing in this book is giving an intellectual answer to the problem of pain, the problem of pain. Mm -hmm. But in Grief Observed, mm -hmm. he didn't write the Grief Observed. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, this is how to handle your grief. Right. He said, let me just tell you what I'm going through. Yeah. Let me tell you what it means for me to yeah. look for God in the middle of mm -hmm. distress and pain. And I think I wrote Finding God in the, uh, not, not a manual for how you can find God, mm. but what's my journey in finding God in the middle of mm. losing my only brother yeah. and then knowing I'm going to grow old without a brother. Yeah. And I didn't like that. I think one of the things that resonated with me so, so many years ago was that there is no shortcut mm. to, to working through it. And I think that was the, even the, the idea of, of how to work through it to find God um, that so many times I'm looking for a shortcut around it. How do I short circuit this so that I can get around it? What, what when you say to move through um, something, to what what's entailed to with that? Uh, several things occur to me. Uh, seems to me the first is that we have to be incredibly 
honest with ourselves about what our emotions are, mm. and not just the grief, certainly that, uh, but a recognition that in the middle of those kind of terrible events in our life, and everybody has something. Yeah. Um, mine includes a lot of things. One is my brother's death in a plane crash. Mm. Um, but I think one of the things that you're not, we're not going to get anywhere until we recognize that we're really disappointed with God. Um, we're really not very thrilled with him. And the idea of worshiping him doesn't seem to be an attractive thought at all because what's he worthy of worship for? So you, you start with that. You start with God, let me tell you exactly who I am. Um, and I have a very strong conviction that God meets us where we are, not where we pretend to be. Mm. And to put a little different spin on it, he meets us where we are, not where we wish we were. I could wish that when I heard about Bill's death that I said, Lord, you do all things well. Yeah. Let us sing together. It is well with my soul. Let us kneel to the ground and praise God. I couldn't do any of that. Mm. I was ticked. Yeah. I was frustrated. I was hurt. I was scared. I wasn't terribly impressed with God. And it's with the grace of God. He takes us as we are, not as we wish we were. Mm. But then I think the next, I don't want to use the word step, but the next uh, part of the flow mm. of finding the Lord in the middle of the distresses of life um, when you really acknowledge what's going on within you, which is the first part of the flow that gets the flow moving, I think the next part of the flow is a recognition of what do I want most? What is the deepest desire in my soul? What am I more thirsty for than anything else? And I believe in the writing of that book, what I became aware of slowly, and maybe not fully, but I became aware that there really is a thirst, a desire within my soul for something more than a brother who didn't die. Mm. Now, do I want my brother not to die? Well, of mm. course, I could tear up on that for the moment here. I don't want Bill to die. And to this day, I think about him a lot and I miss him, I really do. Mm -hmm. But I have a thirst for something more than a living brother. I have a thirst for something more than a mother without Alzheimer's and she died after a seven year battle of Alzheimer's. I have a thirst for something more than, than, than being healthy. Mm. Um, I have a thirst for something more than all the good things of life and that almost stuns you. Mm. Uh, and that's what Lewis calls the inconsolable longing. I have, yeah. a thirst to, I have a thirst to know that I'm profoundly loved at my worst. Mm. I have a thirst to know that no matter what happens in my life, I cannot be destroyed. Mm. I have a thirst to know that in any circumstance of life, I can do something that mm. brings meaning and joy to my mm. life, even when I'm miserable. And I think writing that book uh, put me in touch with some of that. Mm. At a bit of a beginning level, yeah. I'm still a beginner. On my spiritual journey, I'd consider myself maybe in high school now, hmm. but my goodness, college grad school is still long hmm. way off. And I've been a Christian now for 60-some years and feel like I just finished junior high. Hmm. And that's because you continue to grapple with the questions. I've always yeah. seen you do that. Yeah. And, um, and that's what's been um, something that's been impacting on me is How's to see. Well, I remember I talked to Grandpa at one point, your dad, and I said to him, I'm really doubting. And uh, I'm, I'm just not sure, is there even a God? And I remember his comment to me was, well, it's about time. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, what? What? You, what? This, is, this is good. Yeah. 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 And, but, to, but to wrestle with that and to come at the end of the wrestling or, or even in the middle of the wrestling realizing mm. there's nothing else. Yeah. And, and, what, and that's, what, what, what are the alternatives? What's plan B? Yeah. I remember counseling one time with an airline pilot and his life was a mess. And I, and I said to him, you know, your option is God. Mm. And he said, 
no, I want to know what plan B is. He literally mm -hmm. said that. Yeah. And then he said, look, as a pilot, we always have a plan B. Right. If we can't land on this runway because some other plane is coming in because of lousy air yeah. control, uh, we, we can go somewhere else. There's always, what's plan B here, Larry? And I said, find some other counselor. I don't have one. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. Eliminate God, and I don't see much of anything. Uh, let's get drunk. Let's uh, do whatever feels good for the moment. Eat, mm -hmm. drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die because there's no God. But mm -hmm. if there is a God, everything changes. Yeah. And I remember about 20 years ago, you saying, I was probably in my early 30s. You were in your early 50s, about the age I am now. And I remember you standing in front of a class and saying, you have three options. <laughs> um, you can either, it, when you finally take the blinders off, and start being real honest about what life is about. You you have three choices. You can go crazy. <laughs> uh, you could kill yourself. Or you can trust God. Yeah. And I remember thinking, those are the options. Yeah. Those are the bedfellows <laughs> of trusting God. And, and yet now, I, and I remember looking around the room thinking, uh, is he really serious? I mean, yeah. doesn't he know who's in here? And there were, there were Broncos players in that class. There were... Um, yeah. Real successful businessman. Guys that had life together, things are great. And I, I just sat there and go, is he crazy? Yet I looked at a couple other men that were in the class that uh, deeply respect. They were about the same age as you, and they were nodding their head in agreement. And I remember thinking, I wonder what it is I'm not willing to take the blinders off uh, over right now. You know, the first time I said that, mm. I'm recalling it right now. I wouldn't have thought of it until you brought it up. I was teaching a Sunday school class in Boca Raton, Florida, where I was mm. in private practice. And private practice did a number on me mm. because I realized that I couldn't straighten out people's lives with all of my psychological training and good therapeutic technique and good theories of psychopathology. Mm. I couldn't take all of that and straighten out what was most deeply troubling and wrong mm. with people. I mm. couldn't do it. So I was um, wrestling with these questions and teaching a Sunday school class and I had about 80, 90 people in the class. And there, there was a couple in there. There was a guy that was a very successful businessman, mm. very, very wealthy, good-looking, tall guy, handicap, low handicap golfer, mm. beautiful wife, not just a trophy wife in some cheap sense of the term, a good woman, but just physically very beautiful, three gorgeous, perfect kids. I mean, his life was together. Mm. And I remember with him sitting in the audience saying that. Mm. You have three choices. If you get real about your existence and real about life, become mm. a... A kind of a Christian existentialist facing the reality yeah. of existence. You got three choices go crazy, kill yourself, or trust the Lord. I remember looking at him, he was going, hmm. That's ridiculous. I got mm. my life together. I'm trusting God, and He's blessing me. That's the mm. Christian life. And I thought, No, it's not. Mm. No, it's not. Wait until your brother dies. Yeah. Not that I wish that on anybody. No. I don't yeah. wish anybody to get cancer and to have their brother die or have their kid die like my parents lost their older brother, their older son. I don't wish that on anybody, but yeah. it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. Frederick Beekner, a great author, says that life gets difficult for everybody before it's over. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's God's mercy. It's yeah. set up to fail. Yeah, it's yeah. set up to fail. It's God's mercy. So Finding God just felt like a very important book in my journey that mm. it's got to put me in touch with the fact that I'm thirsty for more than life to go well. Yeah. Even though I still want it to go well. Yeah. But they really are Lewis's thought of first things and second things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the second things are all the blessings of life the first thing is knowing god and revealing him to others until we get home mm. that's basically it yeah. to put it in one simple phrase when the i think the staggering thought is that something actually survives <laughs> um i think that's the terror why people are unwilling to take the blinders off why they're w unwilling to move into 
God, you really say you're on the other side of this. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, I don't believe that yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and yet I think what you've been saying with the death of your brother, the Alzheimer's with your mom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Something survives. Yeah. What is that? And you don't discover what survives until suffering requires you to find it. Yeah. And what survives, that's a very good question. I wish I had a great pat answer that I could just spin out real quickly here. What would I say actually survives in the middle of all that? One word occurs to me, hmm. hope. Yeah. What survives is hope for what I most want. Yeah. And what I was built for, because I bear the image of God, I was built to know him and make him known. Hmm. A, a quote straight from Paul. Yeah. And what survives is that that desire in my soul is there in the worst of times, whether mm -hmm. I'm aware of it or not. Yeah. And that's what it means to live by faith. Yeah. That I don't always necessarily feel the hope. Yeah. I don't necessarily feel the, oh, every day with Jesus is more hopeful than the day before. Mm. It doesn't feel that way, but it's true. Mm. And even now, as I'm, you know, you guys know that I've been struggling with cancer for 20 years. There are moments, I wish they were lengthy seasons, there are moments, even as I'm going to be visiting my oncologist uh, in about a week again, there are moments when I say, Lord, this is a privilege. Hmm. Because maybe in the middle of this, I'm getting emotional here, hmm. maybe in the middle of this, I could reveal to anybody who's watching that there really is a God. Yeah. And that I have a thirst for more than being healthy. Yeah. Now, the idea of death doesn't, doesn't really bother me, except I don't want to leave behind my wife. Yeah. I don't want to leave behind my sons and daughters-in-law and five grandkids. I'd like mm. to still be around to be with them and maybe encourage a little bit along the way as an old man. Mm. And if God takes that from me, well, that's his call. Because my thirst is, my central thirst is not that. My mm. central thirst is to surrender to whatever God's wisdom actually is, believing that Romans 8.28 is not a cliche, mm. but it might actually be true. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. <laughs> if it's really true. Think the gospel's true, maybe? Sometimes I believe it. Yeah. Well, and even in your answer, uh, I'm drawn to the fact that of even First Corinthians 13 that abide these three things: so, uh, faith, hope, and love. and love. And that's what your answer. He started with hope, and you said that's what faith is, and that I can actually offer love in the middle of it. That's straight from Colossians 1:5, where yeah. Paul is saying to the Colossian Christians, "I am so happy for your faith and your love, which spring from your hope." Mm. So without the hope, mm. this faith stuff is gone without hope. Why bother loving anybody? Yeah. But with hope, it's really going to be good. Yeah. All things shall be well. All manner of things shall be well, Julian of Norwich. Yeah. And if that's really true, and if I have that hope, then I come around to saying, you know, I believe all this Christian stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And therefore, what I want to do with my life yeah. is be there for somebody else. I wish I did that consistently, but yeah. it's in my soul, and it's in yours, yeah. and it's in all of our souls. And um, what book are we talking about? Finding God. <laughs> and I think we just did. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we did. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's a prize, a journey. Yeah. It isn't, uh, got it knocked now. Just got my PhD in spiritual formation. Boy, I don't have that. But maybe I'm in high school. Mm. Yeah. And that's a good place to be. Thank you, Larry. Guys, you're bringing out a lot of good stuff to chat about. Yeah. I appreciate it both of you. Thank you. Good. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit LargerStory.com.